Thanks, Claire. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm a member of the congregation here. This morning, we're going to uh, carry on working through the book of Daniel. Um, we're going to do two chapters, to, 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 uh, chapters today. We're going to do chapters four and chapter five. Um, that's a lot of reading. So uh, we're going to break it up a little bit. I'm going to talk through some of what happens in the chapters, and Sarah's going to uh, read to us some of the passages verbatim. Uh, so before we do that, let's pray together that God would speak to us through his word. Father, we love to come together. We love to hear your voice. We love to read your word and hear what you have to say to us. And we pray now that as we, um, we think about and we hear from chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak your truth to us and change us to be more like the people you want us to be. Amen. Amen. Okay, right, you ready? We're going to go through decades of history and two chapters in the Bible. Chapter 4 is written by a guy called Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a big deal. He is the king of a whole empire. Okay? And he actually writes Daniel chapter 4, and he says, I've discovered that God is amazing, that he is the true king, and that although I'm king, actually I'm just serving underneath him. And in chapter 4, he tells us how he came to that discovery. Okay? And basically he says... I was walking around in my palace, and I was content, and I was prosperous. And then one night, he had a dream, he had a vision. And he dreamt, and he saw this enormous tree, okay, a huge tree. And the tree is, is healthy, it's growing, it's producing loads of fruit, and the fruit feeds birds that come and live in the tree, and the fruit feeds animals, and they come and shelter underneath. And it's, a, it's an amazing picture of an awesome tree. And then he hears a message in his vision from God. And God says, cut that tree down. But leave the, the tree stump behind. And put iron and bronze around that. And then the messenger from God starts talking about the tree stump like it's a person. And he says, the tree stump is going to start eating grass. And it's going to behave like an animal. And it's going to get wet from the dew. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he is terrified. He doesn't know what it means, but he's sure it means something important. And he calls all the wise people that he knows from Babylon, and he tells them the dream, and none of them can interpret it. And then he calls on Daniel, who we've met before. And Sarah's going to read to us. From, this is from Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 19. 19. Uh, and this is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so do please open your Bibles if you have them here. The first reading today is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 19 to 27. Then Daniel, also called Belthishazar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belthishazar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belthishazar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, 
a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so Daniel interprets the king for Nebuchadnezzar and everything that he says would happen comes true. A year later, Nebuchadnezzar is back in his palace and we're told that he goes out on the roof and he looks out over the Babylonian empire and he says, this is awesome and I am awesome and everything that is awesome about this awesomeness tells me that I am even more awesome than I originally thought. And straight away he hears a voice from heaven and the voice from heaven basically says, your kingship is going to be taken away from you, just like we said in the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar basically goes mad. He, he starts acting like an animal, and he, gets, he, he goes outside of Babylon, and he's not king anymore, and he eats grass, and he acts like a cow, and he grows hairy, it says, and his fingernails grow like claws. And then suddenly... After a period of time, he says that his sanity restored. And he says, do you know what I've realized? God was the true king all along. I've been so stupid. I should have submitted to what God is like. And he, he says to God and he, that he's going to change. And straight away, God brings him back. And uh, he starts acting normally again and acting food, eating food. And he becomes king again. And he starts worshipping God and saying, God is the true king and we should all worship him. So that's chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, we hear about the next king, a guy called Belshazzar. Now he knows everything that's happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but he just totally ignores God anyway. And in chapter 5, he has this massive party and he invites all the kind of best people and his friends and millions of wives. And they all drink loads and in the middle of this, he goes, go and get me those goblets that were taken out of uh, Israel's temple to their God. And we're going to drink from those. And it's a kind of act of defiance against God. And as we do that, we're going to worship gods of gold and silver and iron and bronze. And in the middle of that, suddenly they see in the wall behind them a supernatural hand. And it's writing in the wall, in the plaster of the wall. And they are terrified, just like Nebuchadnezzar was terrified. They don't know what these words mean. And they, he calls all the wise men in and says, what does this mean? It's obviously from God because this supernatural hand turned up. But none of the wise men know what it means. And again, he then calls Daniel. 
And he says to Daniel, if you can tell me what this means, I will make you the third highest person in the kingdom and I will give you loads of gifts. And so I was going to read to us what Daniel says to that king. And this is from Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Right, so Daniel chapters five, chapter 5, verses 17 to 31. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank from them, wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and bronze and gold, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. Here is what those words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, as Be then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sire. Okay, there's absolutely masses in those two chapters, <laughs> uh, and uh, we're not going to unpack it all, but I do encourage you to, to read through them and to study them. There is so much brilliant um, imagery going on. We're going to focus on one point in particular this morning, which I think is the main point that comes out of these two chapters. Um, we're going to think of then about how that applies to us, and then I want to show you something that I think is really cool from Daniel chapter 4. Um, the point, I think, is really clear in these two chapters. Two chapters in which a king who believes that everything is about them are called to account by the true God. Um, and the message, which you get really clearly, and I, what I love is that in particular you get it from Nebuchadnezzar's worship in chapter 4, 
The message is the same message that's been going throughout Daniel, and we'll see it continue right to the end of Daniel. And that is simply that God is the true king. He is the ultimate king. That yes, there may be kings and queens on this earth, and there may be world leaders, but above them sits a true, awesome king. And um, you get a couple of things in particular in, in the way that Nebuchadnezzar praises him that I just want to flag up. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar points out that God's kingdom goes on forever. It is eternal. So usually a king or a queen will reign for a generation, right? They take over when their mum or dad dies and then they reign until they die. But God's kingdom, his dominion, Nebuchadnezzar says, goes from generation to generation to generation. It is eternal. And secondly, he is all-powerful. There's a great bit in Nebuchadnezzar's worship where he says, who can hold back God's hand? Who can stop him doing anything? And the answer is no one. God can do anything because he is the all-powerful, eternal king. And what God points out to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar in these two chapters is because of that, he gives earthly royal authority to people and he can take it away whenever he wants. And that's in two different ways, he says that so starkly to two different kings. And that demands a response in terms of how they reign. Okay, so hopefully, well, no, not hopefully. At the moment, I suspect we're all feeling pretty comfortable. We're looking around, I'm not a king, you're not a king. I think we might get off the hook today. Um, there's an obvious message here, isn't there, where we say, um, what do we conclude from this? Well, we conclude that if you're a king or a world leader, then you have to recognize that you sit under an ultimate king. You have to recognize that you sit under God. And these chapters tell us for kings and for world leaders and for queens um, that they have to be humble and they have to recognize that they are given royal authority, not for their own purposes, but in order to serve God and to do what he wants. And ultimately, that they are given that so that they can glorify him. And we might extend that to ourselves and say, okay, so we need to pray for world leaders that they would do those things. And all of that is absolutely true. We must pray for our world leaders. We must, we must call on God and we must call on them to submit to the, authority, the ultimate authority of the true king in heaven who reigns forever and who is all-powerful. But as we look at the whole Bible, the reality is that actually what God calls Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar to, he's gifted them royal authority. But what he calls them to isn't specific to people who he's given royal authority to. What he calls them to is actually common to everyone who he has gifted with anything. What he calls them to, he calls to people who he's given talents and ability. He calls people who have got resources of money or possessions or time. He calls people who have got a voice and can speak on his behalf, who have got a mind and can think. He calls anyone whom he has created in his image, anyone to whom he's given life. He's called me and he's called you. And he gives us all things. And in the same way that he gave Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar royal authority, 
He gives us life and gifts and resources and the functions that we have. And the points, therefore, that, he, that, that come through Daniel chapter 4 and 5, yes, they apply to world leaders, but I don't think that gets us off the hook. And as we think, just unpack those in the next few minutes, I want us to focus on ourselves and to think, actually, how are we using what God has given us in the way that he calls Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar to respond? And I just want to call out two things. First of all, when God gives us gifts, he gives us gifts with an expectation. And that's what comes through in Daniel's interpretation of this vision and the words to these two kings. You were given royal authority, but you were given a royal authority so that you could do two things. First of all, so that you could use it to glorify God. And he calls both of them out and says, you've worked for your own glory, but you should have been working for, God, for the glory of God. You should have been crediting to God the things that he's done because he is the true king. So we're given gifts so that we can glorify God and show other people how amazing he is. And secondly, we're given gifts so that we can use them to do things that are consistent with his calling and his character. Particularly when he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a real bit where Daniel gives an interpretation of the dream. And then just at the end, there's a bit that's actually sort of Daniel's own advice. And he says, look, king, this dream is true. And I want to encourage you, renounce what you were doing before. Um, and he says to him, turn away from your wickedness. And there's a, there's a specific thing about the way that he's treated the oppressed and the poor. And he says, be kind to the oppressed and the poor. In other words, God has given you this authority but he's given you this authority so that you can represent his character in the way that you rule. And the same is true with us. Whatever the gifts or abilities or resources that God has given us, the question for us is, how do we use those every single day in a way that reflects God's character, in a way that submits to what he is calling us to do, and ultimately in order to bring him glory? One of, my, um, one of my heroes is a guy called John Lang, who you might not have heard of. He ran a, a civil engineering company, which still existed, but it was sort of very big in the mid-20th century. Um, he was a brilliant businessman, and he was a brilliant civil engineer. But he was also a great follower of Jesus Christ. And very early on, he took over a very small business from his dad, uh, which built houses in their local town, and he grew it into an enormous civil engineering contracting company but very early on in his um, career when he took this business on he recognized that because yeah it might be his name on the door of the company but actually the person who ran the company was God because he was a follower of Jesus Christ and he knew that he'd been given this company from God and therefore the kinds of the kinds of work they did the way that they treated their employees the way they treated their clients and ultimately, what he did with the profits that came out of the business were all dictated by what he felt that God was calling him to do. He, um, he made a lot of money on paper from that business, but he died with a few hundred pounds in his bank account. The money that he took out went into um, resourcing um, huge numbers of sort of church projects in the UK, and actually a, a large amount of the the money that he put into trust still funds a lot of youth work in, in the UK indirectly. 
Um, I find him an amazing example. We're not all John Lang. We don't all own a massive contracting company. But actually, I know that in this room and um, outside of this room, I can think of really inspiring examples of people who have talents and gifts and ability and use them to glorify God, sometimes in very public ways and sometimes in, ve- in ways that we just wouldn't know are going on. At the same time, if I'm honest, I know that there are times in my life when I'm more like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. If I'm honest, I do things because I think it will look, make me look really good. Or I do things, I use my talents and my abilities in a way that I want to do and I don't submit to God. And the message that Daniel brings to these two is the message that the Bible brings to us. And that is this, if you keep living aside from God, there is a judgment coming and that judgment brings destruction. But if you turn back to God and we say to God, I'm sorry, I haven't lived with you as my king, but I want to from now on, just like Nebuchadnezzar, God promises restoration. God promises forgiveness. God promises healing. And I want to just demonstrate this. This is just something that I think is really cool about Daniel 4. Hopefully, everyone else thinks it is too. But this is an example. I think Daniel 4 is a great example for me of why it's so great to study the Old Testament. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, there is an individual, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, and he has been living his life in a way that is displeasing to God. And God intervenes in his life. He steps into his life with this vision. And he says, you've got to change. If you carry on living the way you're living, you're heading towards destruction. But if you turn around, I will restore you. I will heal you. I will save you. And in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, case, there's a short period where he has to live like a cow in order for that to, um, to come to fruition. But that's not the main point. Okay, so that's Daniel chapter 4. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that the whole reason that Daniel is in Babylon in the first place is because God is playing out exactly the same thing with Israel as a whole nation. Okay, Israel were a nation who were told by God how to live and they didn't. They lived in a way that wasn't in accordance with what he wanted. So God intervened. He sent prophets to them who came and said, look, God says, if you carry on living like this, you're working towards destruction. But if you turn around, God will restore you. He will heal you. He will bring you back to be the people that he made you to be. And just as Nebuchadnezzar had to go outside and live in the wilderness for a while, Israel are taken out into exile because they don't listen to that message. They are in Babylon specifically because they haven't turned back to follow God. And if you know your Bible as a whole, you'll know that that picture of Israel is actually a picture of what's going on in the whole of creation, with the whole human race, that all of us actually live in a way that's displeasing to God. And God warns us. He's intervened through the Bible, but also ultimately through Jesus himself. And the message to us is the same. Come back. Come back and receive healing and restoration and forgiveness. And Jesus promises that when we do that, not only do we avoid judgment, but we discover life in its true fullness. A life lived using what God's given us to glorify him and to serve him is what we were created to do, and in that we find life in its fullness. In, the, in chapter 4, the picture is, you remember this tree stump? And, G, and sorry, Jesus, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, 
the tree stump is a symbol of the fact that you can be restored, that you can be brought back from your sin. And the tree stump isn't actually a new picture in the Bible. There's, um, in Isaiah, Isaiah has a prophecy for the nation of Israel. And he talks about a tree that's cut down. And he says that, that the tree stump is left. And then there's an amazing prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, which I won't go through in detail, but do read it. Then he says, just imagine a branch growing out of the side of that tree stump. And he says that branch represents a king that God is going to send as part of his rescue mission. Let me just read you two or three verses of what that king is going to be like. Just compare this king with Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're brave, maybe compare it with yourself. This is what that king is going to be like who God is going to send. The spirit of the Lord will give him wisdom and the knowledge and skill to rule his people. He will know the Lord's will and have reverence for him and find pleasure in obeying him. He will rule his people with justice and integrity. It's an amazing picture of Jesus. What I love about the way that works is it's not just some kind of literary magic, you know, Daniel 4, what's going on with Israel, what's going on with creation. It's to do with the consistency and the character of God that on a cosmic scale, on a world scale, on a national scale, on an individual scale, God longs for us to be people who serve him, who glorify him, who use what we've given him to show the world how amazing he is and to work out his purposes. And we will fail and we will fall short of that. And because of that, God has sent his own son to die on another tree, a tree made into a cross, so that we can come back to him just like Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'm sorry and I need forgiveness. And when we do that, God doesn't just say, yeah, okay. He restores us. He heals us. He lifts us back up and he uses us to be his people in his kingdom. Isn't that awesome? We're going to spend a couple of minutes um, just responding to that individually. Um, And what we're just going to do, and then Emma and the band are going to um, come up. Um, What we're just going to do is really simple. Um, If you're able to, I want to encourage you to stand, but don't worry if if you can't. Um, But yeah, if you're able to, then I just want you to stand up. And all we're going to do, we're just going to take a moment of, um, of sort of reflection. I was going to say quiet, but don't worry if people around you aren't quiet. It still works. Um, I, we're just going to take a moment of reflection. And basically, in your own heart, I want you to hold out two things before God. And I find it helpful, but lots of people don't, <laughs> to hold my hands out when I'm doing something like this. as a symbol of the fact I'm holding something before God. And I want you to do two things, to hold out in front of him the gifts and talents that you know that he's given you, and to say, it might be you want to think of one particular thing or you might want to think of a range of things and to, and to just hold them out. And we're just going to hold them out for a minute as a way of saying to God, we want these things to be used to glorify you and to do the things that you're calling us to do. And just at the same time, you might just want to hold out areas where if you're honest, you know that you've been living for your own glory or you've been using those things not for God. And we just want to say to God, like, I'm sorry And I want to turn around and I want to live in a way that's consistent with what you're calling me to. We'll just do that for a few seconds in the choir and then I'll, I'll pray.
Father, we hold these things out to you and we thank you that, um, that you know the reality of our, of our character and our failings and our successes. And we want to be people who live for you. And Lord, we pray for your forgiveness when we haven't been and we thank you that you sent Jesus so that in the midst of our failing, when we come back to you, we can be restored. Thank you, Lord. Help us to live as you're calling us to, with you as our king. Amen. Great. Um, I think Anna and the, um, Emma and the band are going to sing a song to us, or over us. Uh, the lyrics of this song are about um, just holding out to God and asking him to help us as we try to live for him, I think. Um, so let's just, let's just take those. Stay standing if you want to, or sit if it's up to you. But let's use this as a prayer, just to pray into what we've just been holding out in front of him.